0: But for me, cannabis had only just been something that I smoked, you know, like I would just smoke a lot of pop. And so I, you know, had never really explored the topical application of it. And I started touring with that idea. So that was kind of the culmination of a personal need. Wow. If it's anti-inflammatory when you smoke it or eat it, maybe it could do the same topically. There wasn't a whole lot of research on that at the time. And then I started finding, wow, it's really toning down this redness in my base. And frankly, I thought it was edgy and cool and a differentiator in a beauty product at first.
1: Hi, my name is Shada Tarabi, and I'm passionate about all things business, marketing strategies and consumer packaged goods. Here to help you navigate how to apply what I've learned running my own seven figure business, sharing the highs and lows along the way. I'm an Austin, Texas-based, extremely curious entrepreneur who's built a successful business and a personal brand in the cannabis industry. I'll share raw, unfiltered conversations to help you navigate your own path and build a life and business you love. Nothing is off the table here from speculation and insights into the future of cannabis to exploring how to find health in life so you can have wealth in business. I'll highlight industry trends you need to pay attention to, as well as share my favorite tools to get the job done. Whether you're trying to evolve your personal brand, launch a business, or just here to learn as much as you can, pull up a seat, light one up, and get ready for some raw talk and inspiration. This is the To Be Blunt podcast. Hello and welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shaded Tarabi, and my goal is to have raw conversations with you and to help us shape the future of cannabis. Now, I can't believe we are less than a week away from Christmas. And I know personally, I'll be working up until Christmas Eve, just trying to get everything squared away before taking some time to recharge with my family. And whether you celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah, the holidays in general, or nothing at all, I know this time is either welcomed or dreaded and just want to make a mental note here for you to take exactly what you need. If you need to get some projects done and over the line, and this is your chance to work because the world slows down a bit, I see you. Or maybe you are in need of a break from the routine and the holidays are a chance for you to step back and slow down and rethink through some thoughts, actions, career goals, or opportunities to get aligned before the new year. I also see you. I just hope, however, and wherever this holiday season finds you, that you feel encouraged to give yourself what you need and please to use this time intentionally. I know that I'll be doing the same with my time, and sometimes it's a simple act of setting that intention and obviously putting it into motion. So, if you need a little bit of encouragement, my hope is that this is some of that for you. Now, turning right into today's guest episode, this should be a fun and inspiring story to leave you with for the week. I'm joined by a former syndicated radio show personality who got her start as a host on the Kid Craddock Show, which was based in Dallas, Texas. During her time on the show, she built up quite a substantial amount of followers as a personal brand. And when things were winding down for her on the radio show, she decided to transition into entrepreneurship and launched her first brand, which is a CBD skincare line called Fittish. Today, we are joined by Jenna Owens, who is known as Jenna Page Online, and she's created not only a beautifully captivating brand through her excellent vision and dedication to high quality content, but actually has formulated products that help her customers, which is reflected in the hundreds and hundreds of glowing reviews her products have racked up over the years. What drew me to Jenna and her brand fetish are a few things. For one, I love learning about other Texas hemp and cannabis entrepreneurs, and Jenna stood out to me because of her approach. If you look at her brand, I bet 99% of you wouldn't even be able to tell it is CBD-based. Her branding speaks to the opposite of the traditional cannabis consumer, and it's clear that that's one of her strengths. In the episode, we dive into what led Jenna down this path and how she's built her brand and leverages the intentionality behind who her target customer is to drive the brand forward. Another thing I became enamored with is her brand in general, both her personal and business, and it's easy to see when you follow Jenna or Fittish for any amount of time just how much she's mastered branding loyalty, engagement, and content. And as a brand and content gal myself, I was really eager to learn from what Jenna has done. And she is somebody who I observe as being the best. So if that's you too, then get ready because Jenna shares so many great gems for us in this episode, breaking down how she views her personal brand in relationship to her business brand, and of course, how she executes content and content creation. I didn't know this, but I learned that Jenna is on the journey to take her CBD skincare products international, so we dive into that a bit as well in this episode, and also discuss direct-to-consumer, managing e-commerce, her website, as well as other juicy things that make up Fittish. So again, I hope this episode is inspiring for you as we enter into the final few days of 2022, so get a pen and paper, get ready to learn, and let's welcome Jenna to the show. Okay, we are live back on the To Be Blunt podcast, and I am super excited today because I have to admit I've been a fangirl of yours for a while, Jenna. I'm in Texas, as are you, so just for the listeners to understand, you're in Dallas, I'm in Austin, but you actually come from the you know radio space, which to me is kind of, you know to give a little bit of background for my listeners, which I haven't really shared, I actually started as a radio, television, and film major, so radio to me is So glamorous, so fun, and I'm sure you have a lot of stories that you can (laughs) share of your journey transitioning from that to entrepreneur now being the CEO of Fittish, which is a CBD skincare brand. You do e-commerce. I'd be curious, obviously, to learn a little bit more about what the structure of your business is. Are you direct to consumer? Do you wholesale? Things like that. But we're going to get into all of it today in the podcast and really just want to say welcome to the To Be Blunt show and thanks for being here. Yes, I'm a mom. Also, as my also baby, a mom. like trying
0: to break into the room right now, I was like, "Get out of here!" I'm a working mom. I'm working right now, but I'm so thrilled to be joining the show. I love the work that you've done in the in the cannabis space. So I'm really excited to kind of talk about my experience.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, you literally are somebody that, you know, it's kind of weird because I feel like I'm on the receiving end as a public facing person. I have a personal Instagram and sometimes I meet people and they're like, oh, I already know this about you because I follow you or I saw that post you made. And so it's hopefully fun for the tables to be turned a little bit where I get to say, I watch you on Instagram. I've seen the amount of effort you put into your brand you're very fabulous, glamorous. I know it doesn't come without a cost. You're doing all the things like you said you're a new mom, you just moved and you're running a successful business in the cannabis space and so my listeners know we talked about this before we got started that this is a, you know, kind of cannabis marketing focused podcast so I definitely want to tap into some of the things that I've observed about Fiddish but before we get into that I want to start with your story so kind of from the beginning who is Jenna Page? How did you get here to Running Finish? What's kind of been the journey? I mentioned the kind of the intro coming from radio. How long did you do radio? Kind of connect the dots for the listener, because I think something that I've really valued being able to offer on the podcast is highlighting the human side of things. You know, it's it's fun to be the entrepreneur, but like, how did we get to being the entrepreneur? And oftentimes that title is glamorized and held up. And well, it is. And you know, you work hard to achieve that success or to achieve that that notoriety, But at the same time, it's like, how did you get there? What were the steps you took to now become the founder of your own company? So let's start there. It's funny, you know, I have a half sister and she was interviewing me for a school paper the
0: other day. And it just, you know, when they're asking you these really kind of profound life questions, and I think a lot of us go, I had no idea. Like, I have no idea how the hell I ended up here. And I could have never anticipated the trajectory, you know, that I've been on. I think in hindsight, and what I said to her is, you know, a mentor a long time ago told me, when you're passionate and interested in something, explore that. Open up that door, open up that window, go through it. You know, it may just be a little crack in a window, go through it, explore it. You may never even realize where you might end up, you know, and it where you start may be very different than where you end up. And I think that's precisely what's happened to me. You know, I've always just kind of followed things that I was passionate about. And if you asked me when I was young what I wanted to be, I don't know. I wanted to be a writer at Rolling Stone. I was always been very into like music and the arts and film. And so I majored in journalism in college, which is pretty laughable for anyone else. You know, when you major in journalism, like these jobs are few and far between, quite low paying these days. I mean, writing for a magazine is kind of silly, right? But, you know, that led me to really explore my creative side a lot more, which is, of course, really assisted you know what I'm doing now and building a business on that side of things when it comes to creativity and being in the cannabis space for sure but I ended up you know doing journalism in college and then out of college I was a little rudderless as my dad called it because I struggled to find a job you know and I I think those of us that aren't born knowing exactly what we want to do. It can be a little challenging, right? So I tried some different things, but I ended up auditioning for a radio show that was based out of Dallas, Texas. It was a nationally syndicated top 40, you know, very pop culture kind of show a couple years out of college. I auditioned for that and I got a job guest booking. Um, you know, they couldn't put me on the air full time because I had zero experience on a major radio morning show, uh, but I got to do segments here and there and really cultural kind of base pop stuff, right? And I started interviewing guests and they really liked, you know, I, I think I was good at good at talking and interviewing people. And so that got me this job that ended up, I never in a million years thought I would stay in Dallas, Texas. You know, being a Midwest girl, I, I just am, I always, I'm far too liberal to live in Dallas. You know, it was always kind of what I thought. But Dallas has been an amazing city and I ended up, having that job for 14 years. And in hindsight, I can't believe that I was there doing that for so long, but it turned into a career that I never could have anticipated. Obviously, a great career about, uh, I would say, 12 years, 10 years, 11 years into that job, I was like, I don't want to do this forever. I get up at 3.30 a.m. every morning. I started to feel a little unfulfilled with kind of the content and the things that I was doing on the air every day. You know, we talk a lot. You do have creative control for the most part over what you say. However, the, the subject matter I was finding not to be as interesting anymore. I started to feel more passionate about kind of creating maybe a brand for myself. And Truthfully Fittish started as nothing more than a creative outlet for me to have full control over something I was passionate about. It didn't even start as a CBD skincare line. I knew that I wanted to create a product, but I knew it'd be expensive And I didn't know exactly what that product was. So and I was never i had never been a business owner before. Right. So, you know, when you've never started a business, I have no business background. I was terrible with math and finance and economics in school. I had no idea what I was doing. So I started asking questions. I started finding mentors. I started really looking into the market of, you know, what might be a good fit that at the same time, you know, would fit into my life and something that I was good at. And so this whole kind of fitness wellness vibe was definitely something that was, you know, a part of my life much more then than it is now. I say I'm more ish than fit these days, but I was really passionate about that kind of wellness space in the beginning of the wellness trend, you know, I would say. And I had trademarked the word fittish uh, because I used to say that all the time on the radio. It was a part of my identity. I thought fittish was kind of good enough, you know, being fittish. It's a funny tongue in cheek sort of word. So I trademarked that word and thought I would do just some content around what a fittish mentality and a fittish lifestyle is and so I continued to really stew on what a good product would be and I personally always dealt with really bad rosacea especially when I would exercise so I would joke that I'm allergic to exercise I get super red and just red as a tomato and you know I was a soccer player growing up I've always been you know I was more of a tomboy growing up really active and always red to the point that people are like are you okay what's wrong? And so it was at that time that I started kind of exploring, really noticing, I should say, because I feel that when people want to start a business, it's pretty critical to pay attention to what's missing in a space that you like. You know what I mean? Like I'd start identifying. I do this every day. This is part of my daily life. What is missing? So I started living and breathing that kind of mantra. So everything I did, I'd go, what's missing? What's missing? Well, when I'm working out, I'm seeing all these women, especially in Dallas, right? Women are dressed up, wearing really stylish workout clothes, spending money at these chic gyms, and there's no product in the bathroom for them. Shampoo, conditioner, that was about it. But I was noticing the behavior like, women weren't showering after workouts, especially like men tend to do it. It's not as easy for us to do the full thing, and so, you know, they're Touching up makeup, going out for drinks. And so I started paying attention more to this behavior when I would go to the gym. And I'm thinking, why are we not having some more products in the bathroom for active leaning individuals? And then kind of combining that with this happened just around the time the farm bill had passed. And I was already a big proponent of cannabis, right? But for me, cannabis had only just been something that I smoked, you know, like right. I would just smoke a lot of pop. And so. I, you know, had never really explored the topical application of it, and I started touring with that idea. So that was kind of the culmination of a personal need. Wow, if it's anti-inflammatory when you smoke it or eat it, maybe it could do the same topically. There wasn't a whole lot of research on that at the time, and then I started finding, wow, it's really toning down this redness in my face and. Frankly, I thought it was edgy and cool and a differentiator in a beauty product at first. So I didn't have much money. I bought like a thousand bottles, made this product, this tone down spray. It was working great for me as a selfish need. It seemed to feel like a, I don't know, a void in this wellness space that it didn't really, you know, there was really nothing like that that existed at the time in a crowded beauty space. But this was kind of a niche, right? Right. And then from radio, I had a lot of kind of like loyal fans and people that had followed me for a long time, because I never really sold out endorsements and things like that. So I think they trusted in me and wanted to support my business and they started buying it. And I was getting this insane feedback from people going, oh my gosh, I have eczema, I have psoriasis conditions that fortunately I do not have. I have not dealt with. I had no intention of this product working for that, right? This was That was pure chance and luck and a risk. You know, I took a risk by doing this, but Yeah. And so then that was just kind of the spiral, right? Like it just was, wow, there's a lot, as I think a lot of us have seen, a lot of fabulous outcomes from using cannabis in different ways and that I couldn't have really anticipated before that because I was kind of I was really going out of the limb at the time. I mean, now I know we've seen all of this stuff. So this is kind of old news. But, you know, this was in like 2017. And so it was pretty fresh
1: that is such a powerful story and obviously like following you and knowing a little bit about your background especially coming from radio and just the personality that you are which is i think a fair word to use when you're referring to radio personalities yeah. and hearing about your story of just you know building this loyal following and and realizing you have become a personality and i think it's almost interesting in 2022 you have a lot of, you know, celebrities who are, they talk about it a lot with like pro athletes, especially like, how do you get these kids who are becoming pro athletes to create longevity with these brands they're building. So it's not just being the pro athlete, it's okay, now what product can you go attach your name to, to create some more residual income, like I said, longevity. And so it doesn't sound like that was necessarily your inclination at first, but being able to leverage that brand that you had built, turn to your followers and say, hey, this product is working for me. And also, I love the thought process of what is missing. I think it's just like a good tip to kind of reiterate for the listeners of, you know, things that you can do that are tangible. I love when there are tangible Easy Mm -hmm. tips that you can walk away with and implement immediately. And that's such an easy one to do where it's just looking at your day to day life of what is a product I could do or what's a a need I can fill. And it's really asking yourself these really simple questions that can be so profound when you actually do it, I think, with intention. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I mean, look, tangible is critical because I get tired of reading, you know, I don't want to read about
0: things that aren't. That that I'm never going to achieve, right? Like that's so defeating sometimes. And I think so many of us want to look for residual income and we want to gravitate towards things that I'm not going to say passive and easy. Nothing about this is easy. And I don't think anyone in the business would ever say it's easy. I mean, especially when you don't have capital to start. But, you know, I'm not this brainiac, you know, with an Ivy League degree that knows how to computer code. And, oh, yeah, I started an app. Okay, get out of here. You know, I needed something that, you know, I loved hearing stories from regular people, you know, moms and dads and people that, I mean, isn't that what we all kind of strive for? Like, man, I, how cool would it be to come up with a product that just worked? And but again, you know, that was not my intention from the onset. But I definitely recognized that in order to get out of a job that felt kind of stagnant for me, I wanted to just at least start a side hustle where I could be creative and have fun. I didn't put much pressure on it. I could have never anticipated that it would amount to what it has. There's the law. A lot of ways to go for me, of course, you know, running a business is hard and kind of sketchy
1: every day, especially in this industry. It's like extra I'm sketchy. Now, well, I know.
0: But I think it's so important and can be so like inspiring to people when I would read stories like, yeah, I just thought about like this is something I needed and it didn't exist. This is something I needed and it didn't exist. And that's just kind of the the mentality that I followed.
1: Well, so considering that you have a CBD skincare brand and you were identifying specifically with the environment that you were in, which is this, you know, kind of upper class, like chic, you know, fashionista women who like to get their workout on, they're at Fittish and you're talking about identifying that there weren't certain products in these gyms. I'm just curious, considering the products that you sell, understanding Texas, understanding just cannabis in general, have you been able to kind of bridge that gap and actually have your products in these gyms? Or has that been a little bit more challenging to kind of navigate? Because like, for example, I think SoulCycle sells uh Lord Jones CBD products mm-hmm. to some extent, but it's more like on the topicals. It's not, you know, necessarily like edibles and things like that. And so mm-hmm. there might be a little bit more flexibility of like, oh, well, we'll take a finished, you know, topical product versus a um, brand that might be something that's more inhaling, smoking, psychotropic, Delta A, Delta 9, sure. things like that. So I'm just curious if that was, you know, part of your journey and how that that part has has landed for you. Yeah, sure. I mean, I more knows than
0: yeses for sure. Yes. I think that that's an answer you probably anticipated. More knows than yeses. I will say this something that's been really cool for me is I I knew my audience, right? I did a lot of studies on who was following me on social media first because I knew that that was going to be my platform and it still to a large extent is. I knew that it'd be a difficult space to navigate. And again, that's why low expectations. I could get shut down tomorrow. You know, that almost happened, by the way, early on. And I just kind of felt, you know, twofold. I'm going to keep a radio job and a salary as long as I can sustain it, you know, and do both jobs until I've built this brand, right? Which that took me over three years of having two jobs, you know, until I felt comfortable enough to leave that job to run this business full time. But I'll say something that's really fascinating is that I have attracted a certain type of customer that is not a stoner, that has probably never smoked weed, that is terrified of cannabis, may still be apprehensive about THC products, yet they have trusted me enough to try something topical and have had great results. And that's what I've wanted for the cannabis space in general. That's what I still want when I think about creating other brands or doing other things is I want to bridge this gap between the person that is terrified of THC because they grew up with this very kind of restricted or just scared mentality because it's a illegal drug, right? To go, wow, this is a plant. This is... Not not just harmless, but it's actually like very helpful. Probably, you know, as most of us feel way safer than legal things like tobacco and alcohol, and have this understanding about how natural and therapeutic it can be. And that's something that you know I really wanted to kind of like educate the customer on. I think education's a really big deal, and I think that the problem I still see in the cannabis space with marketing is you have very hardcore. You know, you have people that know a lot about. A lot about weed, a lot about cannabis, or they just know what it does. They want it for a certain use and they don't really care about anything else. We're really missing the people that are still really scared, you know, still really scared, still really apprehensive, still, you know, very uncertain about it. Yet they take prescription medicine and all these other things. Of so. I think that that's where I've kind of aimed to soften the blow a little bit like let's talk about like this is a topical use you know you're not ingesting it and it's been really nice you know it's been really nice to kind of take this personal stand with people that trust me and know that you know I'm not sitting here smoking pot all day every day I used to do that I used to do a lot more of that and I still do you know I still really like THC products and I have that you know from time to time but I think it's been nice for them to see someone that's a mom that had a career that is starting this business and that there's a lot of use for it. And that's important. You know, I think that's important as a founder to kind of put your face behind it and say, you know, this is what I'm using these for. And this is what other people are using it for and have all these testimonials. And I don't know, I guess it's just been my hope from a marketing perspective to make it a little more accepted at a a smaller level, you know.
1: No, I love that you highlighted that because it's a conversation that I feel like we bring up and wrestle with on this podcast a lot. And then even just personally, you know, especially coming from Texas, where there is a little bit more of that stigma here in our state. And also looking at the mass market where it still is very stoner culture. And and yes. as much as the industry tries to separate from it, they still keep gravitating back towards it. And it, it's a hard... It's a hard thing to kind of get away from when you don't have non-necessarily cannabis poster child people like not standing up. So it's great to hear that you're like, no, I am a mom. I am passionate. I am professional. These are ways that I use cannabis. You're not excluding that kind of stoner culture personality, but you're carving this space out for, like you said, those people who probably have never smoked a day in their life feel super trepidatious about consuming anything THC, but because you have put yourself out there, which I also want to talk about too, because I feel like I, I and our business is such a personal brand and it obviously can be such an aid to selling your products and creating community with your customers. But it's also very taxing and draining I feel sometimes to be so public facing but obviously on the plus of that the pro of that is people trust you they listen to you you're you know kind of being a part of that ecosystem in the community sharing your own story and testimonial and then just like you were highlighting I mean your website is just full of people sharing how their pro- how your products have helped their specific issues and I think that's kind of some of the magic sauce that I think sometimes marijuana companies can't like traditional cannabis can't really do for certain reasons. It is a little bit tricky in the CBD space just due to certain, you know, I have a couple episodes ago where we were talking to a gentleman who used to actually do, he was like a mad Men executive for the pharmaceutical companies and we were getting really into the weeds and he was basically saying like, even in a testimonial of someone says like, hey, this product works for me for, let's say, not topical, but like inhalation, oh, this helped me sleep better. Even though the customer said it, me using it on my website makes me liable for violating some of these, you know, regulations from a federal level. So it's a little bit trickier, I feel, for like full-on cannabis, but maybe there's a little bit, some some things that you found because it's topical based or just, you know, different ways that you've navigated it. But I'm curious, have you kind of, you know, run into some of those issues or concerns and how have you kind of overcome them? (laughs) Still do. Still do. Great question.
0: Really frustrating, shocking, considering it's a topical that's non-psychoactive. This lack of regulation, you know, and look, I'm not a political, like, spearhead. Like, I don't you know, I'm not as knowledgeable as some of your other guests on the weeds, like, you know, getting into the weeds of this. But from my own personal experience dealing with local government officials and, you know, kind of the certification you have to go through as a cannabis brand, it's really interesting. I just last week had to go get fingerprinted for like the millionth time, right? Because, you know, I made a joke like I can't kill anyone, you know, because like, I mean, they take every corner of every finger, right? It's crazy. And so, you know, like they do for police officers and other government officials, which, you know, that's all fine and good. I think the issue that I've had that's really frustrating, and I'm sure everyone that has a cannabis business feels this way, is is the lack of regulation. This is a great product. I think it's very likely here to stay. And I hope that, you know, it gets easier and easier over time. And that those of us that dealt with it are, are rewarded because of the risk we took. But we, about two years ago, had a short period of time that we had to stop selling. And it was, you know, kind of this miscommunication of what what why? And they couldn't tell us why. Like they came in, they like taped off all this inventory. It was very like VEA style. We, of course, it was right before the holiday. We're like, shit, <gasps> what's going on? Why? Oh, you have these testimonials that say, you know, this product in particular cleared up my acne. Okay. It did. What? Like it did. Well, yeah, but you can't have that. acne's too medical leading. Okay, you can say pimple. I'm like, excuse me, what? Okay, could you just send me a whole list of the words I can say and can't say? No, we can't do that because we don't really have a list. This is a government official. And I'm going, I, I had a great legal consult out of this firm. And these women were based in Michigan. And they consult with like the major, you know, cannabis brands and stores. And they said, yeah, Jenna, it's really frustrating because there is no list. It's almost like just get creative. I mean, I guess if you're asking what the tip here, it's yeah, less is more. And which is frustrating when you're trying to educate, of course. Yeah, and so the fact is, it, it's things like that. You can say pimple, you cannot say acne. In my opinion, both of those are equally as medical sounding. The other tip that they were they gave me, which we have utilized, senses get creative with your language, right? So that helps with me because I was great with words, and so you know, we use things like calm, angry skin. Of course, you can't use anti-inflammatory. You can't use all these other things. That's precisely the use of this product. And so it's really upsetting because I feel that we're missing out on so many, you know, so many people are missing out on issues, you know, not being helped because of this. But if you know, you know, I guess. But yeah, There is no good, safe guideline for this. And so there were other things involved in this kind of temporary shutdown, like one of the labs didn't have this certain certification where we got products manufactured in North Texas, and they thought they had it. And, you know, they're producing these products. They thought they had it. So those were the products that were taped off. The state was very nice to us about it. They were prompt at the time because they knew how important it was. So once we got some of those things resolved, but it's crazy how much they know about these businesses. And I think the the thing is when you start to get bigger, that's when you start to attract more attention. And I would much prefer the state to get involved before we got a letter from the FDA because you know, when you get to that level that you're getting punished by them. I mean, they have access to shut on your website and do all of these things. So, you know, we're trying our best to keep up with the times. But, you know, we just had them come in the other day. We've been trying for over a year now to get our free sale certificate, which is to ship internationally. And you have to do it really right when you're trying to get into major retailers overseas and to ship to people overseas that are now interested in our products. And, you know, there's different qualifications for that. And, they come in, they inspect everything. You know, you have to be so like strict on how everything's displayed, how everything's labeled, all the testing, everything that you do. And it's that's been really hard. You know, it's really hard as a small business when I'm very lean with employees for all of us to figure out what's going on when there's no guidelines. You know, there's no rule book. I wish there was a rule book for those of us that are doing it right, that have good quality products and we can follow rules. But there's almost a new rule every other week, you know, oh, now you can't say this word. You can't do this. So for us, it's just staying on top of our reviews, not publishing reviews that say anything too medical, even the ones that are amazing. We just I, mean, I don't know if this is getting too specific, but. Please. You know, we just kind of archive these things in a hope that we don't want to delete them forever. But we hope that at some point, because reviews are important, you know, if we were to ever get on Amazon or get on any of these other sites at some point, reviews are everything. And uh, yeah, so for now, it's just kind of doing our best, right? Just doing our best to get through and get the product out there, get creative with the language that we use to recommend products to people. But yeah, we've had some turbulent times as I think most businesses, if anyone that's been somewhat successful has probably had.
1: I mean, first, holy shit. I mean, it's, I joke sometimes a little bit like it's inevitable. Like you almost have to be prepared for that type of situation to happen because to your point, and it is a frequent conversation on the podcast, right? Like there is no rule book. There is no, well, what words can I not say? And I just won't say them, you know, kind of, of offering. And I find also these regulators across the board in multiple states really are not cannabis people themselves. And so they're like, well, I don't even know what the difference between this and that is. And you're like, well, CBD versus THC, there's a big difference. But trying to communicate that to them is obviously sometimes over their heads. And it's like, but you're the regulators just to know these things. So sorry that that happened to you. Thanks for sharing about that. I think I had no idea. Obviously, you were trying to go international, which is such a foreign topic, I think, for the industry because it's so difficult. And because I think it's very nuanced based on what products you're selling. So maybe topicals. I I find topicals to be the most lenient when it comes to what platforms you can be on and banking and kind of getting your product in certain retailers. Like the more you ingest edibles, inhalables, like those create obviously more headaches that you have to kind of navigate against. Well, that reminded me about a banking situation in the very beginning, right before holidays, when my business was finally
0: starting to get somewhat profitable um, I was like selling out of these first small rounds and our bank, well, our payment processor at the time and PayPal's gone back and forth as well. And now we can't even be on PayPal anymore. They completely shut us down on a Friday when we had a major sale right before the holidays when I finally had inventory in. And, you know, I've been very lucky to hire and contract hire people that are passionate about the space smart, you know, to help me kind of navigate. We had to go with a processor for a short period of time that was in Ireland, which I was worried my customer was going to be worried about because you're going to get this international charge or it's going to show up, you know, as like Ireland. We had to do that for a couple of days to patch. You know, I could go on and on, obviously, about payments. Payment processors gotten easier, but still not. You know, when you have a retail store, you know, there's certain we've noticed that retail stores have it a little bit easier. They're able to use Square. They have so many different products. It's a different setup for us. That's been a problem, you know, with our with our payments that when we do, pop-ups and stuff like that. Square, for some reason, has, like, not allowed us to process payments. And the whole thing's been very tricky. And so, I mean, I guess the underlying advice there is, like, you have to be ready to pivot you have to have plan Bs at every, at like a moment's notice. You know, I always have someone on standby to help me with the website in case something goes wrong or we have to switch payment. We have a couple different payment options on there. Even if we're paying higher fees on our end, you just have to have it, you know, for an experience for a customer so they're able to to get that done. It's been very cool to see, you know, these kind of Klarna's and, you know, different services like that, that offer, that that support CBD. That's been very cool, you know, to have that. We've noticed a huge, we use Sezzle. I'm sorry, I should give them a a shout out. Sezzle's been awesome. It's really cool to see companies like that. And Shopify, you know, their payment processor doesn't use CBD, but Shopify has been great for us. It's nice to see companies that are more like future thinking and liberal thinking and know that it's okay because our sales, you know, our average order value has gone up since implementing Sezzle. And I know that it's because my customer wants these products and even priced somewhat affordably. I have a customer that, you know, the economy is affecting them and us and they really want to be able to pay out, you know, over four payments, their orders. And so little things like that have been a huge help.
1: That's a great point I didn't even know Cezzle was just knowing that they allow you to kind of pay out over time I didn't realize that they had kind of opened up to the CBD side of things yeah I will say we're on square square is a headache and a half they have so many issues with them the primary being I've I, we were one of their beta customers so we've been with square for over three and a half years square does not give me a point of contact I can't get a hold of yeah. anybody it's like Shouting into the void and being like, I want to do this the right way. And you're not even giving me any sort of inch to have a conversation with. So it's a little bit to your point. You have to have multiple solutions. Yeah. In fact, right now I'm in the middle of two payment processing conversations just to have a backup because one of our banks said that we can't use Amex anymore. And so it's just always, you know, something you have to kind of be prepared to navigate around. And so Thanks for kind of highlighting that payment side of things. It never gets easier, but you have to always kind of, I think, be prepared and certainly have things in your back pocket. And I think what sucks is it's the customer that gets punished. And Absolutely. Uh, obviously in the long run, because if you... Things that I didn't
0: care about in the beginning of the business was a, was a, I cared about customer service, but I didn't care as much about like website functionality. And sure. of course, when you're mainly D2C, which, you know, I would say 80 percent of my business is D2C. We have some retail, you know, we're in Neiman Marcus and but the retail that we're in is very, very minimal in terms of our sales, you know, and so. The things that we I care more about now are like a great customer experience on the website, making sure our mobile, you know, I, something shocking that I've learned in the last year is that like, you know, I think 92% a lot. of our D2C business is done on a mobile device. So people aren't even on their computer. And it makes sense. I mean, I shop on my phone. So, you know, most of this is happening on mobile. So you want this experience to be great. You want their payment information saved. You want a good experience when they're going to your website and then if they're having like, oh, you can't use MX, you can't use PayPal, you can't do this. They're like, well, this sucks. I'm going to go somewhere else and buy it, you know, because we all want some effortless system. And so there's a
1: lot of challenges, right? (laughs) <laughs> well, the customer doesn't obviously understand those changes and the nuances to it. And so, yes, it's it's a difficult conversation to kind of have to keep drum beating to the consumer of like, oops, sorry, this changed today. And like, oops, yeah. sorry, that changed tomorrow. And it's it's just par for the course. And so it's just like, how do you reinvest what you can? And like you were talking about hiring people who are capable, whether it's on the legal team, you're bringing in new staff who understands the industry just to kind of help you continue to course through until we get a little bit more stability. But I'm glad you brought up the website and I want to tie in a couple more conversations too around personal branding because you are such a powerful personal brand. I kind of teed it up earlier when you were so personal and so involved. I mean, you're in a lot of your photo shoots for your products. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously that's an intentional choice for you. I'm assuming because you were so personal as as a radio show host, like people knew you as you. And so you're the mouthpiece to sell your own products versus I think some people obviously have businesses that can be very successful where you don't even know who the founder is, they're nowhere to be seen. And so kind of what was your thought process to lean into more of your content. I'll quickly share a little bit about us. You know, we are in so much of our content because when we were starting out, we didn't have people we could hire to be in the content. So we just started showing up in our own videos and showing up in our own, you know, photos. And it was a little bit of a disservice to us in the early days, especially with a retail store, because my sisters and I would be in retail and customers would come to know us as the CBD sisters and we're educating them and we're giving them this information and selling them these products they're coming to know and love. And then when we were scaling and trying to hire retail associates. We would sit in our back office because we were still working out of our retail and we would have customers who you could hear who were like, are the CBD sisters here? I'm gonna only talk to Shada. And you're like, no, like, that's great. I love that you've become so loyal to me, but I wanna now be able to create some separation and have you trust my staff. I've empowered my staff. I've trained my staff. So again, knowing that you are a brand yourself, you are so involved in Fittish. What is what is branding to you, and kind of like how do you bleed that line and, and blend it really for your business? It's difficult. I am the
0: brand, and until the brand, it's we've started the tipping point of it transcending me, right? Because and that's the juncture I'm at, just from a full transparency business perspective, is trying to now scale beyond me being the brand. And, you know, I don't I don't have like millions and millions of followers, but I have a pretty healthy social following, great return customer rate. I like to attribute that of course to like the efficacy of the products because yeah, people will support you one time, but if your product shit, for they're sure aren't going to buy it again. You know, they'll support you once, but if they don't love the taste or the feeling or the w- that it works, they're not going to buy it again. So I like to believe, you know, of course, the products are amazing. Now it's about customer acquisition, which I think can be really difficult. You know, I was lucky to have that platform that I worked hard to build over, you know, more than a decade. I'm in my photos for similar reasons. We've done model shoots. Models with skincare and high-end photography is really critical. Like, you do want to showcase good skin. We have gone through phases where we don't want to spend that kind of budget. And so I use Friends with good skin that use our products. I use customers. We've done a couple of photoshoots actually getting our own customers with their testimonials. That's cool. That's been my favorite. Now, regular people aren't models. And so you learn that. You learn things the hard way. Going low budget, using regular people, it's harder to get a lot of good pictures. And then you pay models through agencies. You're like, oh, this is why they're models. Modeling's really hard. Um, So, you know, we've done it all. And I like that we've done it all. You know, my goal with this brand is to be, you know, I want to be aspirational yet attainable is just kind of the vibe I want to give out. I don't want the aesthetic to be so beautiful. Like I don't hire models that are so unattainably pretty. I i use myself and regular people because I want to go, yeah, I do have good skin. I use my products. I'm passionate. I want to put my face behind it. I don't always buy ads with myself in it. But you know what's interesting? Ad buying is a whole nother conversation. But I think that brands in general... what we're seeing and the reason we buy things. And I don't know if you feel this way. People want to see who's behind a product. So whether it's a conversation I've had with our ad agency recently, we just got with a new ad agency actually that's based out of Austin and they've bought a lot of CBD advertising before. And that's why I was willing to give them a chance. But how do you start to attract new customers that have no idea who Jenna is? You know, they didn't listen to the radio show I was on. They don't follow me on social media. You know, Am I still valuable? Am I still a valuable brand asset to a new customer base? And they say yes. They say yes, because you're knowledgeable about your product. You're passionate about it. You're the person that created it. So whether they know your history or know you or not, you're still kind of the, you know, the the person behind. And I think a lot of us these days, especially just generationally, you know, we we like to know who's making a product. We'll probably buy something because I don't know, we follow them on social media or we see a founder's story about her and her family and why she created a product and her personal need for it. And, you know, I'm showing my face, like my rosacea and my issues before. And my hope is that even new customers that they don't care, you know, they don't care that I was on a radio show. They don't know who I am, That they'll hear me speak just about founding Fittish and kind of the story behind it. And I think we just care now more. You know, I think that's where big brands are trying to get more personal again, because, you know, there's a million people working for some of these big brands and the founder isn't even really a founder you know it's a whole group of corporate guys and i so i don't know i just try to lean into the fact that you know i'm a woman this is who i am i know that my current audience is a lot of women like me you know we we work they have a job or two they have a kid or two they you know care about their purchases they they think a lot about where their money is going to go so yeah i think having a face behind the brand is pretty critical
1: Yeah, I think to your point, obviously, on one hand, you have this audience that you have spent years curating, and they do know you for that. And so it's like, you don't want to do that a disservice because you've worked hard to build that platform. And you want to be able to convert that platform. But then it is really fascinating as you try to scale a business. I mean, even going international, I'm sure people in certain countries, it's like, who, who are you and why does that matter? Yeah. But I think having that story obviously sets you apart. And I couldn't agree more. People want to do business with people, not businesses. And I mean, no shade to people listening who don't have an about me page that has a photo of a real person, but a lot of shade to those people. I see so many brands in the cannabis space, especially you know here in Austin, as over the years, people pop up and like, oh, now I'm a CBD brand. You go to their about page and it's, we're passionate. We love the plant. Well, who are you? There's no photo. I don't know a story about you. A lot of us are passionate. You know, how'd you get into the industry? What motivated you to get here? And it's not that those businesses can't, I think, find a target customer. To an earlier point you shared too, you know, people will buy something once but it's what's going to keep them coming back and so i think being able to thoughtfully create a narrative, create brand touch moments where you're sharing your story, you're sharing your own personal photos while also scaling so you're not in every photo shoot or you're not you know, mm-hmm. making every single sale yourself because that ultimately can be really draining on on the founder on the entrepreneur. So it's something i struggle with constantly. We go back and forth, you know, it's me and my two little sisters, so there's three of us and I for sure have the most public facing role and I do like it. I'm sure you do too, to some extent. It's like, I don't mind being in front of a camera. I obviously like having a microphone in front of my face, but it's draining when you're on all the time. And that's, you know, how the business runs to some extent. It's like, how do you put people in place that you can scale and, And all those things. So I try not to look. I
0: used to interview like mega celebrities on the radio show. I I am not that. You know what I mean? Like I sure interview, you know, Rihanna and, you know, all these pop stars. And every now and then I would ask them, like, you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. So what do you do? They go, this is part of my job. And it was always a very, at at least from the super A-listers. And I just think it's really interesting, you know, about a lot of the ones that have a lot of fans. It's really interesting how they what they do. And they say, this is my job. If I don't feel like saying hello to every single person and taking pictures, I don't leave the house. And that's great because they know that they have to be on and this is part of it. And so when I think about myself, I don't, yeah, especially around Dallas, you know, people know the radio show. I think it's great. Like I think that, you know, and in no way am I comparing myself to that, but I look at that mentality as this is the upside, you know, starting a business, being able to have a platform on social media. Yeah. I'm going to get a lot of DMs about a broken product, about a shipping issue. Yeah, I don't really want to have to deal with that. But I always tell myself, this is the beauty of a D2C business, that the upside is that I can post online and sell the product. And the downside is, yes, they're going to think I'm customer service. They're going to contact me. But it is what it is. You know, I mean, I would much prefer that than ha- having had no platform to start a brand so yeah it just kind of is what it is you know and it's the there's upsides and downsides to everything and I would say the upside definitely outweighs that element of it but now it's still trying to figure out how to transcend you know my own brand because branding's everything you know and I think that in a space that's getting more and more crowded every day I still can't believe how much shitty branding there is out there when I look at the cannabis space I get it, okay? Y'all want to be stoners, this stoner mentality, love it. You know, I was a stoner in college, but like branding is everything. And I, I'm thrilled that so many people still haven't caught on to that since I'm in the space. But like brand is so important from a logo. And I know people don't want to spend a whole lot of money. I know a lot of the CBD brands are just huge cannabis companies throwing money into the CBD space and they don't really care either because they have so much money that they just are trying to legitimize some of that money. And so... You know, that's kind of what I've learned over the years. But there's just so such a lack of good branding. And I think people don't want to spend money when they start these companies. So, you know, it looks very mom and pop. And I'm not saying that that can't be successful if you have a good founder story. But that's the other other element of this, right? Like you can't I just don't think you're going to be successful in the space if you don't have good branding and then you also don't put effort into kind of your, you know, your website and your story and and what's, you know, Who's behind the brand? Because if in a space that's super crowded, I task my employees with this assignment like all the time, right? I'll come in on a Monday and they're like, oh God, Jenna's on another one again. But I'll go this whole week. I want y'all to write down everything you see that when you go to buy something, Mm -hmm. I want you to write down what was your process behind buying that product, right? Because I've always been very curious about like customer behavior. Why are you buying something, you know? And it's been just what I thought, you know, the kind of answers are just what I thought. It's, oh, well, I came across this girl on TikTok, I started following her, I like her, she recommended it. Oh, like, this is an influencer I followed for a while, and she started this brand. Or, oh, I saw someone online that I follow wearing this. And so there's always some personal connection to why someone's buying something these days. It's not like, oh, I saw a great commercial on TV. Like, no, it's not that. It's, It's, you know, I saw someone recommend this or do this. So there's this personal connection, I think, is so important, you know, or I saw this founder do an interview and I liked them. So I bought it. So in a space that's more and more crowded every day, why are people buying? It's like liquid death. Like this brand is amazing. You know, it's water and it can you know, why are people buying it? Because the branding is amazing. Like it's because it's there and you see people drinking it at at a concert or wherever they kind of got started. And at just, you see the trucks and it's liquid death. I mean, it's so hardcore and it's water you know, in the most crowded space of all spaces, they'd created this whole identity. And I think that says everything, you know, it's just about, it's really great logo, really great branding and a really great story.
1: No, that's such spot on advice. I usually reference the grocery store effect analogy or insert any store you're going to, right? It's what makes you gravitate towards that right. product. Obviously to your example, it's a little bit more on the habits of why someone is buying something, but I think similar, you know, Thought process to it as well of just what are you looking at and what do your eyes gravitate towards and why do you like the way that product is done? Because, yes, when there's 10 different waters on a shelf, but liquid death stands out, that makes you feel something, that makes you think something differently. And I think that that is lost a little bit in the industry. Maybe I'll, you know, give some credit to the fact that the runway seems a little bit cut off for us in some capacities. I find there's a lot of brands that. You know, they want to just get in and get out. They want to kind of capitalize on some of these minor cannabinoids. It's, oh, I I just want to flood the market with some, you know, Delta 8 carts and don't, you know, question where it came from and don't care about the brand. Because I was literally talking to somebody on a panel and they've said, well, we just want to sell what the kids want these days. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that out loud. But OK, that's your brand. You don't give a fuck. You just want to sell something for now, not forever. And I think, you know, it's the brands that want to be here for the long haul are really trying to implement and think through. And the other side of that, too, is not everybody's going to be successful. And I think that that's not a popular opinion, unfortunately, because everybody wants, I love cannabis and I want to be able to make money in this industry. And it's like, I just um, at that summit, we uh, I was inviting you to the Texas Hemp Summit. I was talking on one of the panels and I brought up a point, you know, if Texas legalizes marijuana tomorrow, realistically, how many of these CBD operators are going to get licenses? Knowing that there's only two operational medical marijuana licenses, the reality is, I bet ninety nine point nine percent of us are not going to get marijuana licenses. So do people then want your CBD products? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe if it's finished because you've built a brand, you're speaking to your consumer. It's not predicated on this stoner culture. But a lot of the brands in today's market, especially here locally, it's because they want to sell weed when it becomes legal, and I'm like, you don't even know what that is going to look like when licensing opens up. How, when, if, why? And it's just to get people really confronted with the realities of operating in this industry. It's not to crush their dreams. It's just, what are you trying to build, and how do you want to build it? And so I just feel like I've admired you, you. Like you're obviously in the CBD space, but you're really not. And you've echoed are you that telling me so you I should time. apply? Should I apply for the <laughs> marijuana license? Yeah. <laughs> Th- th- good luck is all I'm saying.
0: Well, <laughs> I, you know what, I'm not ever going to shame a money grab because I wish that I was more like that, you know, in this like taking this huge risk with like kind of a shitty product to make a lot of money. Like, I think that there is nothing in a way, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I hate the one downside to that is that there's so much of that that, yeah, a lot of those products are kind of giving the industry a bad name because there's nothing in it. Or there's too much of something. It's like the whole cartridge scenario can be can can get so iffy, you know, I don't do anything smokable with my brand currently, you know. I'm I'm not finish is not gonna be anything THC. You know, I always kinda said that from the outset, that would be reserved for something else. But The money grab's cool. You know, I get it. I mean, there's no shame in that just because, you know, this is this is what a lot of people want. That's what they want. For me, though, you know, I love I'm a creative at heart more than I am even, you know, a business minded person. So for me, I could never attach myself to anything that didn't have a cool brand, that didn't have a cool vibe and an aesthetic and. You know, I am so hands on with like every photo shoot and this whole identity of like this athletic leaning wellness. And I don't know, for me, it's like I couldn't put my name on something and be like, hi, I'm Jenna, the founder of fitish Like, look at this shitty little sticker on a container. You know, this was my brand. I like I, it's just not for me. You know, it's not for me. But when there's no face behind it and you're not, you know, and you're just trying to make some money real quick and you figured out SEO and you figured out all these other factors about how to be like the highest ranking. Yeah, sure. I well, people that are this way. They're like SEO is everything. If you're the highest ranked in this category, you're just going to be like printing money. They don't care what that product looks like. And hey, you know, props to them. They probably made more money than I have for sure. But I don't know. I like my brand. And I think my goal is also to sell my brand, you know, and yes. so, you know, I want to grow a brand that becomes scalable and then sell it that another company is like, this is cool, we're in we can do even more with this. And so, you know, ultimately, that would be the goal for me. And of course, that's a challenge. I'm still figuring out how to do that. I want to be attractive to be sellable to a pharmaceutical company or to someone that wants to you know that knows i have a great audience built in and this return customer i feel like some of those other brands if you don't have brand loyalty you'll just hop around to anything you know and i have a lot of loyal customers and that was important to me
1: yeah i absolutely understand to the point of the money grab i think for me where i have fault with that is when it's the consumer i'm always thinking of consumer safety and the reality is a lot of those products you don't know what the fuck is in it. And even the products that even have a good brand in front of it, you don't know what the fuck is in it. We know that there's so much discrepancy when it comes to quality testing, testing lab from testing lab. And so I'm just a little unfortunately too in the weeds of the industry side of things where I'm Mm -hmm. like, consumers be weary, you can buy the gas station brand, chances are it might actually have good quality ingredients, but probably it doesn't. And you don't know what you're putting in your body. And so it's, it's, you said it too. it, We need better operators to ensure that the industry continues to progress. And I feel like when you have, there's so many stories, oh, my kid ate this Delta 8 edible, and now they're in the hospital. And it's like, that's not Delta 8. That's a synthetic product that was marketed and labeled as Delta 8. But that operator doesn't give a shit. They just wanted to sell edibles to kids. And so I think that's where I find fault with a lot of people not actually putting their best foot forward, not actually caring about the plan, not actually caring about the consumer for who is using their products. And so I just want to re- reemphasize and echo that stance of it's great if you figure out how to SEO and make a great, you know, quick little sticker and slap it on and you found a great vendor and supplier and you can move these products do it. Get in the industry. Like I welcome competition. It's just the people who are doing it for the wrong reasons and the consumer is the one who's losing out. So wanted to just say that kind of want to wrap up. You touched on it a little bit. Social media. It is so important for brands to participate, yet it is plagued with censorship. You, you know, kind of mentioned that you've been a- attempted to be kicked off. I don't know if you've actually been kicked off. My personal account was deactivated last holiday season for four days. That was very Unfortunately, I don't have as many followers as you, but you know, 20 something followers to lose is not fun to wake up to in the, you know, middle of the holiday season when you use that channel to promote your brand. Um we talk about it a lot on the podcast, so I'd love to learn from you. What channels are you on? How do you decide what and when to invest in those channels? And then we talked about your photo shoots a little bit, but I want to get it a little bit more granular because they're stunning. (laughs) And I know that it takes a lot of work to execute, but when you are selling products direct to consumer, like you were saying, when you are selling skincare products, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff from the beauty world that it's like, oh, well, if I don't have, you know, I saw one of your videos and it's like someone beautifully like swiping, you know, a topical on a beautiful background or you had your products like sliding almost would look like on some ice ice yeah. Yeah. I was like, what the hell? This is amazing. And It's yeah. showcasing your products beyond just, you know, here's my product on a page. Like customers don't want to click that. And so you seem to have tapped into engaging content, viral content, you've got your own platform. Fiddish has a lot of followers. Jenna has a lot of followers. Are you on every platform? I just I want to know all the things that you you navigate from a social media perspective, because as much as it gives us headache as a cannabis industry, it's a major way to connect with our consumers and promote our products. Okay, first of all,
0: When I said earlier in this conversation, 92% of our purchases are coming through someone's mobile device, I should add to that that 80% of our purchases are coming from Facebook, Instagram. So it's everything. I mean everything, not to be dramatic. I mean everything that even if you hate social media, if you as a brand are not on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, No point in having a brand, in my opinion. And I mean, I'll I'll stick by that opinion just based on where my business has gone because of it. Now, I think it's maybe possible if you're in every retailer out of the gate because you've had a lot of capital to do that. But still, you have to support that. Right. And so my goal with being on social media, look, we could have a whole podcast about this because to me it is it's it's 90 percent of my brand, in my opinion, is kind of our presence on social media. I put a lot of emphasis on it. We have multiple weekly meetings about it. I would say, you know, TikTok, we haven't. TikTok's tough. I met with the ad executive, you know, someone way high up at TikTok. Like, they are a Chinese company. They are absolutely prohibiting any kind of CBD, cannabis, tobacco, firearms. We're all grouped in the same pot, you know. No advertising is allowed. So TikTok for us, you know, I think we're just under 10,000 followers. Like, it's not a big deal. We do fun content on there. We do not mention CBD or cannabis or hashtag any of that whatsoever. We're still finding our footing there. I just told the girls, you know, I'm I have a, I'm very strict with our social media. I mean, not in an annoying way, but I should say like in a very encouraging way, like I want a TikTok posted every day. You know, we do a certain number of stories every day. We do a static post every day. Video is king, queen now. I almost prefer video over photos for anything anymore. I stay really on top of like what's engaging, what people like from giveaways to educational. We have content pillars. I mean, I could go in a whole kind of marketing conversation about how to do it. I think we do a pretty good job with it. But, you know, I, more is more. More follow, more new followers, equate to more new customers. Klaviyo, I should add to this, is like, you know, having a really good email marketing campaign is critical as well. I mean, we kill it with our email marketing, with current customers and getting people to sign up. I mean, there is so much to that channel for you, like growing an email database. I'm sure you know that. So that's really important for us as well. But yeah, a lot of thought goes into this. You know, I have a full time videographer, photographer on staff, and I only have four full time employees. So that says a lot. You know that that is a a a pretty crucial role on our on the Fitted team is someone that can constantly be there updating product photography, shooting TikTok, shooting quick video content. Yeah, it's everything. You and then I want to differentiate my content from the Fitted from the Fitted profile, but content's everything because it's. Unfortunately, super disposable. People eat it up in one second and then they're on to the next thing. So we put super, I mean, I did a whole psycho parody Halloween video concept for Killer Skin for October. It's something I'm like so proud of. It got like zero engagement. It was beautiful. I love it. I loved it. And then we, I will post something so throwaway, you know, so random that people just like love that I put no thought into. So, you know, it's so unpredictable, but the point still remains. It is everything for a business. I don't care if you have a retail store, if it's a small little business you're running, finding your footing with social media is just so important. You know, it's the only place we're currently even buying advertising. I decided to stop advertising for a while it's the only Facebook, Instagram is the only source we're still using for that. And it's effective. You know, it depends on your customer base, I'm sure. But that's where we've chosen to spend money because Google Google ads are tricky. Everything's tricky in the cannabis space. But yeah, social media is super important. So, yeah, I people will say I put a lot of emphasis on it. But in my experience, it's what's worked really well for us over the years. And my hope is that it's not always shoving product down people's throat. Right. Like you'll notice with our feed, it's not Right now, during the holidays, you know this quarter is a busy time. But you know, it's not buy this, buy this, buy this. Sometimes it's informative. Sometimes it's just funny. Sometimes it's silly or just you know a random lifestyle kind of thing. Right. Uh, We've seen newsletters. I mean, we'll send a newsletter out that doesn't even promote a sale or any sort of product at all. It's just like my tips for staying healthy during the holidays, something very like obscure, in my opinion. And it'll sell like 10 grand worth of product. And I think it's just this like presence in people's minds. You know, you want to be a brand that people think of. Again, this goes back to that whole on a shelf when there's competition, and they could buy CBD skincare now from a lot of other brands, why are they buying ours? Product quality is important, but it's because they go, oh my gosh, yeah, like, wearing the British hat, or like, I love this brand, or I like this founder, like, you just want to give people multiple touch points to like you, you know, or I like to say, yeah, maybe they don't even wear skincare, like, they don't care about skincare, but they bought a hat from us because they liked the branding. And maybe when they go to buy a gift for someone, they'll think about us, right? Like you just want people to think about you. And so it's just staying kind of in their, in their mind. The world is so annoyingly busy. We're inundated with so much bullshit every day that, You just want to stay fresh, you know, and that's, it's a lot of work. I won't lie. I mean, anyone that tries to do content every day, they're like, wait, this is so hard. This is so much. And yes, it is. But I've looked at social media as that is what started me selling product. That's what gave me a successful foundation. And I'm not going to abandon that. And if you ask me, I wish I was doing more. I don't know if that sounds crazy, but, you know, I wish I, YouTube shorts, YouTube, I watched... I watch a lot of other people that aren't in this space, right? Because I try not to emulate or copy people in the cannabis space. But, you know, Mr. Beast, who's like the most successful YouTube creator ever. I don't even follow him, right? I'm just going to say that out of the gate. Like, I don't follow him. I know who he is. I read stories about him. But I watched an interview lately where he's like, The biggest mistake so many social creators make is not still being on YouTube because YouTube is just going to be here for a very long time. And so, you know, I'm always kind of watching stuff like that, thinking about what's next. Like Again, it's pivoting. We're in a space that's constantly changing and you have to be, you know, kind of amenable to change. You have to be ready to hop on a platform. And if you're not good at making videos, hire someone part time that is
1: best piece of advice that was hands down. I mean, I was just so curious, obviously knowing how much you invest in content. And I feel like I invest a lot in content, but I feel like you do it On another level. And so to understand the investment you've made on your team to actually have that person, we recently hired a video editor, so that we can be producing more video content more frequently, just for exactly what you said, YouTube, I can dice that up, put it on reels, I can put that in my email marketing newsletter going out, it's just a way to create more dynamic content and kind of blast that across different channels. You also brought up Mr. Beast, it's funny, I just listened to an episode he did with Joe Rogan. And it was just like so much good information that plug, go listen to that episode. I mean, any episode Mr. Beast says, I didn't realize he was 23. He's just like super enlightening for he's 23. It. He is like maybe 24 now at this point. But he's like a young kid. He's like, I'm just obsessed with YouTube. I'm just obsessed I had with no idea he was that young. I thought he it, was like my age. You're I know. Wild. no, just like shows how successful you can be if you are passionate and obsessive about something. And And obviously you are because you do it so well. And it's something that you're continuously investing in. And Like you said, you do more if you could, and I'm sure you're figuring out how you can. Kind of final question on that note. It sounds like you spend time, so I'm glad you addressed it, you know, looking at other creators to kind of obviously not copy, but influence and kind of see what people are resonating with, things like that. But I personally feel I'm in my early 30s I can't keep up with the new technologies and the new this and the new that. And so do you do all of the, you know, kind of like strategy yourself or what inspires you for kind of staying on top of some of these trends? I mean, you mentioned you play around with different types of content, whether it's product focus or educational focus. I think it's healthy to have a different, you know, kind of approach because you really don't know to your other point too. You spent a lot of money on one piece of content that doesn't necessarily perform like you thought it was, but this really, you know, cheap way of making something really quick is what gravitates and captures people's attention. Like, there's really not a method. And I think coming from old Instagram mentality, it was like, oh, the perfect feed. You have to have the best editing and the perfect caption and 30 hashtags. Like, that is not the game these days. It's it's almost the opposite. And so how do you stay on top of it? What inspires you from a content perspective? I just love to hear those final thoughts from me, please.
0: You have to be careful asking me questions like this because I'm a talker and then I'm going to talk forever and people are going to tune out because I, I love talking about creative. I think, uh, let me see, the most efficient way to answer this question is twofold. One, these larger, like these more elaborate pieces of content I do are for me. I... Gosh, I just love creative people. I I'm a creative. I, I wish I was even more creative. I surround myself on a kind of interpersonal level with other creative people that have like helped me with branding, and we will have conversations and I bounce ideas off of them. Not everyone that's on my fitness team is super creative, right? Like it's we're not all you know, and I'm not a type A person, right? Like I am disorganized. I am that founder that's like, when's my meeting? Like someone tell me, you know, however, I will spend a lot of time really fleshing out a creative idea. And so I do a lot of that stuff for me with no expectation that it's going to go viral or anything. I mean, the psycho thing is to me, it's probably too niche. I love four. I love Halloween. I love scary stuff the fact that I figured out how to combine my brand with something scary and do a shower scene to, like, promote our new body wash. I thought it was amazing. Like, I feel like it's, like, Super Bowl commercial. I mean, with with better budget, it would be. But, like, no, it didn't get a lot of engagement. People thought it was great. Like, people thought it was good, our, our followers and stuff. But it's not like it went, like, viral or anything. But the point is, I do it for me. When you ask how I stay motivated, those are things I do because we had a lot of fun doing that. Like, we rented this awful, when I told you the state of this hotel room that was in Denton, Texas, I mean, it was Scary, you know. It was bad. It was real bad. And there was a car in the room and a mirror on the ceiling. And it was for like really low budget only fans filming, probably like it was rough. And I like climbed on this car bed to film this like car scene in Psycho. And we had so much fun that day exploring that, you know. And my videographer and her team, like we just had a really good time doing it. So you know, it's the other things we, you know, we have to do, right? So I look at some of this creative stuff. Like your team, it's a small team. We work remote half the week. We're in office a couple of days. It's a weird time, you know, to have employees, to have a business and kind of figure out what keeps people happy, especially younger people that work for me. And we have fun, you know, we have fun doing that. We shoot behind the scenes. We get a lot of content out of it. To staying motivated, you know, that is what motivates me. I think the hard part is you have a lot of days as a founder of a business that you don't get to do the things you enjoy. And a long time ago, someone, I had a conversation, actually, I went into a panel, in California, and it was one of the founders of RX Bar. I know I reference a lot of brands that aren't cannabis at all, but I think I it. a lot can be learned. And that yes. story is really nice. You know, he did a he did a story on how I built this, that podcast. And I love that podcast, by the way. um, I think it's really great if you're kind of starting a business because you hear so much about people's failures. But he said to me, he was like, hire when you're able to the most important thing you can do is like hire people to do the things that you suck at or the things you don't want to do so you can free up yourself to still have time to do the things you want and you know i'm not quite at a place that i can hire out like everything right cfo for sure you know i have a contract cfo to help me with cash flow because i'm not good at that so that was like position number one you know position number two is hiring more people to do day to day so you can be freed up to creatively concept because i think you can get pretty drained doing some of the day to day of the business and I'm still caught up in some of that some days. So I'm not doing nearly as much digital, I think, and and social as I would like to personally. I start to lose my way a little bit because, you know, I'll spend a full day doing stuff for the business on the back end that's hidden. And that's hard, right? I think it's still I need to get to a place that I'm doing just more social every day because that's what drives sales and that's something I'm good at and something I like to do. But Yeah, you have to find things that you do love about the business to stay motivated because if you start drowning in the books and the back end and the decision-making every day, yeah, you're not gonna have time and then you're not gonna like it anymore, you know? So I would say, yeah, I guess it takes time. You know, you wear a lot of hats, you do everything for a while, but staying motivated, you gotta, and maybe you love doing the accounting, right? And you're not good at doing the social media. And I talk to a lot of people that are that way. Like they don't stay on top of it. So I mean, I think for me, I'm, I'm good with technology and I like learning. I think that's something with the radio that was always really important is you have to stay a little bit younger. I mean, I'm almost sporty and I don't think I live that way. Now, I'm a homebody. I don't party a lot anymore. I'm too tired, but I'm still very on top of like new apps and new technology and what's coming out. I try to stay very, I try to read a lot, you know, about what's new and what's trending, A, because I'm interested, but B, I know how like kind of crucial that is to stay in touch with your audience and keep building a younger audience. And yeah. So anyway, you know, I just try to stay on top of it. What's going on on TikTok? What's what's up? You know, I can't do everything. I'm not dancing on TikTok by any means, but I always say there is a place on every platform for everyone. You know, I mean, your algorithm will show it like you don't have to be dancing on TikTok, you know, but there's these companies. I don't know if you've come across companies that are like, I mean, the the most like elderly run like hardware store and the guys like doing a demo of a product and it feels like a skit and it's not and it's amazing. And they have like a million followers. You know, I just think that no matter what your business is, there is a place on every platform for you. If you just kind of you got to gravitate towards just like with a product. It's not going to be genuine if you're trying to do something that you're not, right? So you just kind of find your footing and find a place for it. But yeah, I mean, I can't really stress the marketing of social media enough, whatever that platform is. Maybe you hate Instagram and your customer's not on there because Instagram does feel kind of dead sometimes. Well, then don't do that. Don't put your effort in there. You know, if you're good at talking or you have funny employees, like get on TikTok or get on YouTube shorts, you know, just figure out what that platform is and figure out how to use it. I mean, there's just it's not easy you know, it's not easy. I'm just, I like being creative. So I gravitate towards that sort of thing. But I do think it's critical.
1: I couldn't just like agree more. I want to a thousand times like you know, clap for this interview. You shared so much insight and valuable information that is really tangible, I think, which I really appreciate. Not every guest comes on and, and knows how to obviously communicate. So I think your background really influences how you're able to show up and now educate people, whether it's your customers or whether it's, you know, my podcast audience. So thanks for taking the time out of your busy entrepreneurial schedule to make some content with me. So thanks for being on the TV Blunt podcast. I'm really grateful and, and nice to meet you. Officially. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit
0: theshada to slash to be blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at the